Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpe and Peter Torpe. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. The American Foundation for the Blind recently announced that the Helen Keller archives that they've been collecting for a number of years are now fully accessible in digital format. And in honor of that announcement, we are reprising an episode we did about a year and a half ago about the Helen Keller archives at the AFB. Helen Selsden is their chief archivist who joined the AFB in 2002 to organize and preserve the Helen Keller archives. Well, with a collection of over 160,000 artifacts, it's taken an awful lot of hard work to get to this point where they just announced that they're launching the online, fully accessible digital archive, which is now available at afb.org slash Helen Keller Archive. But first, for our tip of the week, this week's tip comes from Helen Selston. What I really want to put across is that one of the main things Helen advocated for was for jobs for those with vision loss. There's tons of stuff in the archive in which she spoke in front of legislatures demanding assistance or just care to push those who cannot see, visually impaired, blind, deaf, blind, deaf, those with disabilities, to be given the same opportunities as she was afforded to get jobs. People with vision loss and with disabilities, it's self-evident to me that are equally capable of the jobs that their sighted and hearing peers can do. But still, we haven't made enough progress on that front. And I'm hoping that the archival collection will show just how much someone with a disability can achieve. And that is absolutely possible for others. Yeah, we we feel very strongly also about, you know, employment opportunities for people with disabilities, in particular visual Mm -hmm. disabilities. And so we've done a number of episodes where we've brought in blind people with all sorts of careers that you might find a little surprising. You know, right, there's plenty right, of blind right. social Absolutely. workers, but we've mm-hmm. brought in a blind oceanographer and mm-hmm. a blind physician. Mm-hmm. And, you know, oh, all blind sorts of people. And why can't you do that job? Just Absolutely. You can't see, but you Absolutely. might be discouraged. That's right. And, you, and many are discouraged. Right. Big time. Right. And we haven't made much progress. And as we learned from doing this interview ourselves, it was quite an eye-opener for us. Helen Keller was an advocate for all kinds of social causes. Let's start by meeting Helen Selston and learning about the American Foundation for the Blind in general before we get into their Helen Keller archives in the focus segment. Hello, my name is Helen Selston. I'm the archivist at the American Foundation for the Blind. Um, I've been at AFB for about 13 years, and I'm in charge of Helen Keller's archival collection, the MC Miguel Rare Book Collection, the Talking Book Archive, and AFB's organizational records. How did you get involved working at the AFB in that role? 
I um, have been an archivist for about 30 years and um, I traditionally back in the day would be brought in to help organize collections that were in disarray and I was brought in 13 years ago to help organize the boxes that were sort of all willy-nilly in the archive so I was brought in to help out with AFB and unlike every other gig I've ever had I am still here. (laughs) So do you have a personal interest in blindness? Honestly, before I worked at AFB, not so much, but I have certainly learned a lot since I've arrived at AFB, and I guess I've become quite passionate about it. So we'll get into the details of the Helen Keller archive in just a bit, and how it got started and what you're trying to accomplish, but can you give us an overview for people who may not be familiar with AFB about what they do in general and some of their services? Mm -hmm. AFB came into being in 1921, and we have been here, in that case, almost 100 years. We were created as a clearinghouse, really, for information. There was a need to centralize all the information about accommodations, what there was and what there was not available for those with vision loss. And that's how we came into being. And to to a large extent, we, we still are very much that. I think we're recognized as the place to go to for clear accurate information. And I think um, that has served us well. From the 1920s to the 1940s within the United States, AFB, now actually really because of Helen Keller, she traveled around the country and spoke in front of state legislatures demanding state commissions for the blind be created because they didn't exist, accommodations, and of course, um, World War One and then World War Two were huge motivators to get uh, rehabilitation services for those um, men. Because of all of the blinded veterans. Exactly, because of all the blinded veterans. So um, we really were a body that came into being to push the rights of those with vision loss, and I hope that's what we still do today. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. This week's focus topic is the Helen Keller Archives at the American Foundation for the Blind. So let's start talking a little bit about the archive that you're putting together. How did this all get started? Well, Helen Keller worked for the American Foundation for the Blind from 1924 until her death in 1968. And she collected materials, AFB collected materials. And in 1968, when she died, she bequeathed the physical collection, as well as the literary rights to the materials, to the written materials, to AFB. So from then on in, we started to really make an an effort to collect materials. Um, In 1971 to 1973, AFB made a big point of contacting people who knew Helen for documents, for archival materials. Materials. So there was an active policy of bringing in materials about and by Helen Keller. So that's how that happened. I was surprised to learn that, that she had written so much. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. What types of things yeah, did she, she write? Did. She wrote an incredible amount. She wrote 14 books. She wrote hundreds of essays and articles, anything from, to do with um, women's suffrage to um, traveling to Asia and the Middle East, advocating for those with vision loss, to science, to nature. She was actually also very religious. She was a Swedenborgian. She wrote on just about everything, and her work appears in newspapers and articles 
around the globe. And we have those in the archival collection. The archival collection includes over 80,000 items about and by Helen. It has correspondence, photographs, press clippings, scrapbooks, audio recordings, film, architectural drawings, and beautiful artifacts, about over 250 artifacts, including many gifts she was given on her travels around the globe, because she traveled to 39 countries around the globe, really from the 1940s to the 1950s. And after we completed the interview, Helen gave us a private tour of some of the artifacts that are on public display at the AFB, and it was fascinating. Now, she was known for also giving speeches. Yeah, absolutely. So without hearing and without sight, I assume she could read the text in Braille. Mm -hmm. Did she she have sufficient speech to give the speeches? She was always ashamed of her speech, unfortunately. I'm sorry to say that, but she would speak. And it's fine by, you know, I could understand her, but I'm used to her voice. But I guess what really happened was that she would speak and then an interpreter would then repeat what she had just said. Mm -hmm. So her speech was never great. And in fact, back in the day, AFB made a policy of there aren't many recordings of Helen Keller. There aren't many recordings at all. And that was, an, I think, it, from the way I understand it, there was a policy to not have her spoken voice <coughs> broadcast on the radio or whatever. And I think, I mean, still, that's the way it was. And I have, I think my goal as AFB's archivist is to give the whole picture of Helen Keller, to give her religion, which isn't always a popular topic, to give her politics, which is not is always a very, you know, delicate subject in the world today. So, but I think that by having the whole Helen Keller, you understand how she behaved, why she did what she did, and above all, her unbelievable stamina. This woman was active from the age of about 1820 to practically the day she died, when she died when she was 87. So this is decades of advocacy. She was a strong socialist beginning in the teens for women's suffrage. She was a pacifist. She she wasn't a pacifist by the time of the Second World War, but she was in the First World War. Um, And I think you have to understand the breadth of her life to really, really understand what she did. I think she became very involved in blindness in the 20s. Um, But before this, even, she was involved in many political issues. How did she get started as such an advocate, Um, you know, considering she had some serious hurdles to overcome being deaf and blind? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How did that all get started? That's a great question. I think, and this is to some extent my personal opinion, that some people are just born with a natural zest and desire to make things better. I think she understood that as a deafblind woman, she was probably pigeonholed and stereotyped and, and, and doors were closed to her. But I think her own nature made her fight back against that. Plus, to be fair, she was a very privileged deafblind woman. She came from a, a formerly very wealthy Southern white family. And she, her parents were, her mother was extremely supportive and knew how to get help for their child. She had her teacher, Anne Sullivan Macy, arrived on the doorstep when Helen was not quite seven years of age. And 
Annie stayed with Helen her entire life. So this is one-on-one. Mm-hmm. So right? they worked as a pair yeah, through this absolutely. Journey. And I think it's very, very... It, it's this one of these extraordinary moments in history of synchronicity mm-hmm. where you have this brilliant, fiery teacher coming down to teach this also extremely bright and but frustrated kid who can't communicate. The two come together and it just truly works at a time as well when I suppose... The population was much smaller in America. She became famous at the age of eight. It went through all the newspapers. She leveraged her fame to advocate on behalf of those with vision loss. I think she was a very, very savvy woman. And and in recognition of the role of Anne Sullivan Macy, we are doing this recording in the Anne Sullivan Macy conference room. Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we have Helen Keller conference room here at AFB, the Anne Sullivan Macy conference room. We also have the MC Miguel conference room. And MC Miguel was the president of AFB, who um, really was a huge philanthropist and helped it all get going. What are some of your favorite um, works of hers that stand That's out? That's really what, difficult. What are the archives? I'm, sure, I'm sure it is. But we would even give you a choice to pick several things. <laughs> One of my heroes is Mark Twain. We have incredible letters from Twain to Helen, supporting her and it just he was just so brilliant and he just nails everything when he says it and i love the letters from mark twain i think i love the zulu shields because i know that when the kids come by to the archives i'm always trying to get i wish we had more people visit the archives it's difficult on the 11th floor but the kids get a kick out of the zulu shields that she was given by as a uh, by the zulu warriors when she was in south africa in the 50s there is an incredible letter that in fact i would be worth reading out loud that she wrote in okay let me backtrack as a socialist in the 30s she wrote a book about socialism which in 1933 was banned and burned by nazi youth in berlin Mm. and her response to this is a very very powerful indictment of censorship and actually also is it it predicted the Holocaust in many ways, actually. She mentions that you can't silence a people and you cannot persecute a people. So she was obviously referring to the Jews there as well as obviously many other people were murdered in the Holocaust. But she, I think that's it's an extraordinarily powerful letter that we have lent to the Holocaust Museum and that when they did their book burning exhibition was a very popular piece in the show. It's just everything. She just she's so diverse, and and I have to say the collection is very eclectic. Sometimes sort of comically so because you have a hat with the feathers from the nineteen fifties in the collection. It's really it's really it's a beautiful collection, but it's a collection of a woman who lived a long, active and powerful life, and and I love that. Helen Keller wrote this letter um, to the student body of Germany on May ninth, nineteen thirty three. This is a response to her book being burned by Nazi youth in Germany in Berlin at that same time. This is what she wrote. History has taught you nothing if you think you can kill ideas. Tyrants have tried to do that often before, and the ideas have risen up in their might and destroyed them. You can burn my books and the books of the best minds in Europe, but the ideas in them have seeped through a million channels and will continue to quicken other minds. I gave all the royalties of my books for all time to the soldiers blinded in the world war with no thought in my heart but love and compassion for the German people. Do not imagine your barbarities to the Jews are unknown here. God sleepeth not, and he will visit his judgment upon you. 
Better were it for you to have a millstone hung round your neck and sink into the sea than to be hated and despised of all men. Helen Keller. Mm. Beautiful. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. And this is... I assume the original, and we can see the pencil markings yes, and, and editing. exactly. That's the editing, and that's Polly Thompson's handwriting. That's her assistant. So oh. Helen probably, in this case, dictated and changed what to write. But also, just also, this is a very interesting thing. Helen typed all her own materials. You know, she didn't just dictate to others. Everything that she, that she wrote, she usually wrote, typed herself, mm-hmm. and then it was checked, and then if there were errors, she would go back and retype the text. And Anne Sullivan Macy was very keen that from way back that her little pupil be completely independent intellectually and, you know, able to really command the English language herself and to do her own writing. So part of what you're doing here is to organize this and to make it accessible to the general public. Mm-hmm. And it, how is that going to be done? Will people be able to come in and see some of these? Mm-hmm. Will there be access on the net for people who want to read some of her works? Yeah, that's a fabulous question. It is open to the public by appointment because we're, we've limited staff. What I normally like to do is I like to take my groups around myself and I do my, a tour of the gallery. So I love to do that. When I first tried to put this exhibition together, I was very concerned about the accessibility. So I went to the Smithsonian. I, the director of the Smithsonian very kindly, you know, had me take me around and he helped me figure out what the Smithsonian does for accessibility. We can't afford to do a major interactive display if you're deaf or deaf blind. What we have done is to create braille guides to obviously to the entire collection. We've got two audio tours. One is an orientation and mobility tour. The other one is a straight up tour of me describing the materials. We also have a large book, which is um, if you have low vision, it's large print. So everything is in that. So I really try to make it as accessible as I can, but I would dearly love down the line to do it so much more clearly and make it better as it is the I don't have too many deaf blind visitors but when I do they have to come with someone who manually signs because otherwise I I don't manually sign unfortunately so I need an interpreter Mm -hmm. but I do my best Mm -hmm. so all of her papers since she died in the 60s, they mm-hmm. were obviously not created digitally. Um, Correct. You've mm-hmm. been scanning them into formats that are accessible? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, this is a major project going on right now. After four attempts and 10 years, I finally got a National Endowment for the Humanities grant to digitize and disseminate the collection online. So in fact, a week ago, we finally managed to all the materials have been digitized that's it they've all been photographed and now we are inputting the information and getting them up online and just so as your listeners can this is a very important thing to understand we believe that we are creating a website that has never been created before it's going to be a pioneering website because it will be fully accessible if you cannot see if you cannot hear, and if you cannot see and hear. And we believe that this is the first online, fully accessible archival and historical collection, which is another reason we got NEH funding, because what we want to do is we want to push 
for other archival collections to be made fully accessible to their blind and deaf communities. When you look at the site, the materials that are in the digitized site, there's a transcription for each piece. Mm -hmm. So every single text and actually image is described and has a transcription there on the website. So this is clearly a work in progress. When do you expect this material to be fully available yeah. or the project completed? There are 15,000 items on the site, over 40,000 digital images. We are hoping to have the materials up and done by December of this year. What's proving to be the hardest thing to do is entering metadata. Shall I try explaining metadata? Sure. Metadata equals information, and each item has anywhere between 10 and 15 pieces of information. This is what makes it possible for the search engines to search. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. So this is going to make it, not only can anyone, like a kid, put in the word, like Anne Sullivan Macy, put up the, put the, and they'll get all the hits with Annie, Helen's teacher. But they could also put in, oh my goodness, there's so many... Uh, they could put in politics and society hyphen uh, civil rights, okay? And all the places where the metadata assistant has tagged that particular item as having information of, about that subject will come up. And what's wonderful is I've already seen that it's working because people have come to me and said, oh... I know that there was a letter that was written in 1945 about, and this is like looking for a needle in a haystack normally. I plug in certain pieces of information and bam, the, that particular letter has come up. It, it's beautiful. It's a really beautiful thing. <laughs> so for anybody who hasn't caught this from the preceding interview, did you want to make some final comments about what Helen Keller's impact on the world was and what was so important about her. Yeah. She was inspirational. And she did boots on the ground change. She changed legislation. She had legislation enacted for those with vision loss. She just really pushed for change. You know, I thought I knew who Helen Keller was yeah, before you started talking. <laughs> I have learned so much Aww, about what I'm she delighted. did. I'm delighted. And I, I, I want others to really understand mm -hmm. that. And I think in the modern world, in today's world, with so much upheaval, I think a female figure and a female figure with a disability has never been more relevant than ever. I think she is someone we can look to and emulate and above all, never give up on your ideals. I think that is a huge message that is absolutely relevant today that just if you feel very strongly about that an injustice has been done work to correct that justice as she did there is another issue of course is that it's the perceptions of those with what I think Helen Keller did and the collection really shows that she changed the perception of what it is to be blind she really was a game changer not just those outside the blindness community, but those within the blindness community. You know, she really, you know, I know she's still a controversial figure with some, especially some deaf communities, but she absolutely was a game changer. She's changed the perceptions of what it is to be blind and deaf. And 
what people don't think about is the decades of work that she did. She didn't just do it for 10 years, 20 years, 30. She did it, what, from 1924 till actively 1960. Mm -hmm. But she was even working to um, for those with vision loss before that. So although, you know, as a, and also it's incredible, you've got to remember she was traveling around the world in the 1940s to the 1950s advocating for those with vision loss. This is a woman, it was a woman for one thing, and American, many Americans, women were sighted, non-sighted, the whole nine yards were going back into the kitchen. And there's Helen being asked by General Douglas MacArthur to travel to Japan to be America's first goodwill ambassador. So there is a woman who was formerly a socialist, a woman, blind, deaf, and in her 60s -hmm. and 70s. How many of us would do a tenth of what she did? What an inspirational woman Helen Keller was. And it's just great that the American Foundation for the Blind has been cleaning up their collection of her contributions and documenting it so that people can learn just how big an influence she had on the world. Now for this week's final item, how you can learn more about the Helen Keller archives at the American Foundation for the Blind, including how to view them online and in person. So if people are interested in seeing the parts of the collection that are available so far or learning more, where would you send them? To learn more, I think you'd definitely have to go to www.afb.org and then you'd go to the Helen Keller area of our website. And um, there's tons of material about Helen in that website. There's two online museums. There's the Kids Museum, the Anne Sullivan Macy Museum. There are speeches and articles and photos, but also a link to the new database. And that will take you to a very, very in-depth resource of information about Helen. Other than that, we'd love people to come visit us here at AFB in New York City. But obviously, you have to make an appointment. Can you give a phone number for people who want to set up an appointment? Sure. If you call my line, 212-502-7628. And my name again, obviously, is Helen Selston. Do you have an email address for people who would prefer that? Yep, sure. hselston, H-S-E-L-S-D-O-N at AFB.net. And do you have a social media presence? There's a Helen Keller official fan page, and I'm thrilled because we're up to about 110,000 followers. Wow. And So what's your Twitter handle? Our Twitter handle is AFB1921. Helen was kind enough to give us a personal tour of this fascinating exhibit, and it is well worth it. If your group is interested in arranging a tour or you want to know more about their virtual tour, you'll find all the contact information mentioned in the show, along with other links in our show notes for this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for show number 1830. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about a trip we recently took to explore our new home state of Colorado in celebration of our 35th anniversary. 
Come along with us as we prepare for the journey, walk trails along raging rivers, hike along narrow ledges hanging on steep canyon walls, and more. You might even learn the true story of Mike the Headless Chicken. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reachout Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.